morning, everybody. This is Patrick Donahoe. This is uh, April 1st. It is April Fool's Day. Marv, I'm not too much of a comedian. Do you have any jokes for April Fool's Day? None that I can put on the air. So maybe you kind of throw that into your mind and maybe come up with a random joke during the podcast. How about that? Very good. <laughs> so you know, happy spring. Happy spring, everybody. Uh, this is the Investor's Paradigm uh, Radio Network podcast. Uh, we are broadcasting live. Uh, thank you for those that listened in last week. We had some, uh, we had some interesting stuff that we talked about. You know, I think that uh, there, there's a lot of things, you know, in, in relation to politics and the economy and the president, how these these different problems are being resolved. And so it's it was it was good to kind of look at you know the principles behind decisions, the principles behind solutions, and so forth. So we're going to kind of go off of that today. You know, I was uh, I was reading a book called Basic Economics, and uh, it's not really a basic book. I mean, it's I think it's uh, you know it, it goes into a lot of uh, a lot of detail and gives a lot of pragmatic. Uh, examples as far as how eco- economics works, um, and so it, it, I, w- I was reading a section based on business failure and business success, and you know how a free and a capitalistic society, uh, how those two things are are determined. And so and I've kind of presented some ideas to you, Marv, and you know, in real, you, you've seen, you know, you've been in business, uh, the business world, a lot longer than I have, and have probably seen a lot of success and a lot of failures in several different businesses. Um, you know, not not necessarily your own, but you know, just in in those that were in your circle of influence. So. How, I mean, you, you look at you look at you look at failure. You look at success. So, what what are the purposes behind these two outcomes? Well, if you're thinking sort of in a an evolutionary standpoint, um, you know, you look across the the horizon of businesses that have succeeded and failed, and uh, there are some pretty easy uh, reasons why. Uh, why does a business exist in the first place? Well, it satisfies a need in the marketplace. Yep. And many of the interesting failures that you've seen over time is the need stops. Yeah. You know, and uh, for example, horse buggies. Suddenly, uh, when automobiles became popular, there just wasn't that much demand for horse buggies. It or, wasn't that they'd made bad decisions about <laughs> building horse buggies. You just didn't need them anymore. Or same. or saddles, or you know, a variety of things in relation to that type of transportation. Sure. So you have uh, basically a change in the marketplace, um, and and uh, it's just sort of the the winnowing out process in business uh, of where the survivors are the people who who are able to meet the needs that the marketplace presents. Well, what we've seen as the information age has come on is that access to information makes the cycle at which businesses uh, grow and demi- and have their demise much faster. Interesting. I've never heard of it dictated like that. That's interesting. And, and to the degree that uh, businesses are able to respond to those changes in demands quickly, uh, they're more likely to be able to survive. That's one of the key factors. And if you look at, uh, at you know, right now the auto industry is uh, a very newsworthy uh, segment of the marketplace. Well, the rap against uh, the auto industry is basically twofold. A, they didn't provide the product that the market really needed. You know, if you, if you just go back to the Japan where Japan took over so much of our marketplace yeah. because of quality. Yep. That and was efi- one efficiency, cost effectiveness. Is sure. Well, that's all part of quality. Sure. And uh, and so that uh, what happened was we had uh, an inefficiency in our manufacturing system uh, that that was basically supported, uh, you know, with subsidies, with tariffs, and so forth, that allowed uh, our auto industry to not have to match as quickly as they would otherwise in order to survive. Sure. Um, the other interesting that's happened is legacy obligations. These would be things like pension, plans. pension funds and health benefits. So, yeah. so in terms of being able to respond to the marketplace, 
when you have a competitor who's much more efficient in terms of their labor, their costs, you know, whatever, they're more efficient, and you are tied into things that where the, the cycle for change has sped up, but your ability to respond to those changes has not mm-hmm. because you have these legacy obligations, then you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. And so you have uh, these automakers who have a tremendous, perhaps 20% disadvantage in cost because of legacy obligations and, and wage issues. Um, that other automakers do not have. Well, that foreign automakers may not have. Sure. They can't respond to that. Yeah. And so they get propped up by the government, they get propped up by whatever, uh, or they just put off their their um, obligations until finally it catches up with them as they have. Yeah. So uh, in today's economy, what we're looking at is you have got to be able to change quickly. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to be eliminated one way or another. Now, unfortunately, um, governments tend to make the problem worse, not better, <laughs> By bailing them out. Now, that's not true in all cases, but in the case of uh, a manufacturer, for example, Mm -hmm. if the bailout allows them to perpetuate the inefficiencies, then you're really just putting good money after bad. It isn't solving the real problem. You're deferring the inevitable. Sure. You're treating the symptom instead of the cause. Yeah. Well, the the government, I mean, the purpose of the government is not to get involved in. In that, in the financial services or any business services industry like that. Now they're there to regulate to make sure business practices are ethical, right? But they're not there to say, "All right, you need to do this and you do this. Your operations are failing here. You need to do." Th-. I mean, it, Obama well, was the you know the, the one that recommended that the CEO of GM resign. I'm not sure if it, you know maybe the the media kind of watered down that recommend, the word recommendation. Well, when you say that's not the role of government, I think it, it depends on which government you have. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are in an absolutely pure free market capitalistic environment, mm-hmm. that may be true. Yeah. Such such an economy does not exist in the world today. Yeah. Ideally it could exist, but you know, it's just not well, feasible. But it's, it's not necessarily ideal. Yeah. You know, we have lots lots of public policy issues that the marketplace is not going to address the way the population wants it to be addressed. And so we have compromises in government where we have different kinds of uh, isms. You know, we've got socialism and all the different means of production being sort of um, not compromised but um, homogenized into a lot of, in, into a multiplicity of, of outcomes. So when we look at uh, something like the auto industry, it's very, very complex because you have uh, the constituents of government who want their jobs yeah. and who uh, we as an economy want them to have jobs because they pay taxes. And they and, buy goods. And they buy goods and it keeps the economy going. So on the one hand, do we want to preserve those jobs? Yes. But at what cost? If we took the same amount of money that we're going to pay to bail out these uh, auto industries without fixing the core underlying problems, mm-hmm. Would we be better off if we just took that money and gave it to the people uh, to go spend? Yeah. Probably. We would probably be better off, Well, in, and, in, certainly in the short run. Yeah. Um, but but then what happens to that industry? Now we're going to start sending a lot of money overseas. overseas. Well, and at the same time, it's like you know, in individuals – and there's, there's been tons of business failures before. And I know that you know, the, the scope of automakers is – I mean it's enormous. It's an enormous industry. It's you know, the majority of populations in certain parts of Michigan. Right? But at the same time, it's like individuals – let's say if GM did full and everybody was let go. 
are all those individuals just going to suddenly you know die? No, they're going to go out. They might move to Ohio. They might move to Pennsylvania. They might move to Florida. They'll find another job. And maybe it was the best thing for them. I mean, maybe their niche in the world wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, being in an assembly line, putting a, a door on a car, right? It could be, it could be a well, teacher. Could, so, the, you know, the thing is, it's like, I know that the concern is putting people out of work. The concern, it, but these individuals, you know, human beings have enough ingenuity that they'll, they'll figure out what to do. Wouldn't, wouldn't you think? Well, unfortunately, the, the, they don't necessarily have the resources available to them. If you happen to live in Michigan and you're a wage earner, and suddenly the auto industry were to shut down, your ability to take what skills you have and transfer them to some other location into a job that you can actually do a job in is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. So the, the truth of the matter limited, is... Limited, but possible. Very, very <laughs> difficult. If it's one person, yeah, probably. But if you take the entire industry, impossible. Okay. It's just it's going to be very, very great hardship on lots and lots of people. But it's a, since you've kind of raised this, let me just sort of divert here as to what constitutes a business failure. Mm-hmm. Um, many people say, well, if we let these people go bankrupt, they're going to go away. That isn't necessarily the case. A bankruptcy may just simply provide them with the legal means to get rid of their legacy obligations that are preventing them from being able to get to the efficiency that they need to. And that may be a blessing. Now, other people will say, well, would you buy a car from a company that's in bankruptcy? Well, some people Depend, would. Yeah, it, it depends on the offer. Yeah. I have flown on airlines that were in bankruptcy. <laughs> and they still flew. And they still flew. <laughs> and it didn't cause me not to. Yeah. So it, it may be that rather than saying that the business is failing mm-hmm. if it goes into bankruptcy, it's just the way our economy provides for the ability to get rid of legacy obligations that are preventing them from being able to respond in an appropriate And, and it's not really business failure as the business just goes out of business and, and is, is bankrupt and never produces cars again. A business failure could be, hey, something's wrong. We're struggling. We need to change things. I know that GM and a lot of the you know American automakers are changing the way that they operate their businesses. Pay cuts, benefit cuts, not using private jets anymore, cutting back on expenses, making things more efficient. I mean that's – and again, what that does is just makes the whole process – more efficient and more profitable. Right. And and there's no question that that is uh, an overdue. I mean, how long have we looked at the auto industry in the United States and says, what's the matter with them? Yeah. How come they can't do what everybody else is doing? You know, if you have somebody like Toyota, who's been profitable for 40 years in a row mm-hmm. until this most recent year, yeah. uh, and you say, why can't we do that? Well, there are a lot of things that in their culture they're willing to tolerate that we won't. Mm-hmm. And so there's a price to everything. Yep. Now, let's compare that to banks. Or financial services in general. Or financial services in general. So they're not manufacturing anything. Now, let's, let's talk about the decisions that people make. Is there an inefficiency in the banking system compared to the inefficiency in the production system of a car? Completely different scenario. Sure. What There's inefficiencies in everything, but I would argue, I mean, the proof is what's occurred in the last couple of years. It, the, the proof is there is and has been inefficiencies. Yeah. So if I were to if I were to make a, a comparison, what the banks have done in comparison the financial industries I should say, in comparison to what uh, the automakers the automakers would have to have sent out a car that needed four wheels, but they only sent them out with three <laughs> to be comparable to what the banks have done. The banks or the financial institutions have kind of pulled a fast one. Yeah. They they did a smoke and mirrors uh, effect to create uh, the appearance of value 
where there was none. And they created a whole new class of securities. And, uh, you know, it makes it sound like somebody sat around and actually figured all this out. Well, actually, that's what happened. Yeah. One guy did figure this out. It wasn't out. a happenstance. It was, a, it was, it was purposely planned. created. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, because of the capitalistic system, it was then abused. Yeah. The idea itself was a great idea. It just happened to be abused. And then when they figured out how to make a lot of money on it, it was really abused. So there was a, a level of abuse in the financial services industry that was colossal on a scale that the auto industry would never even imagine. They but the, simply couldn't have pulled something like that But off. the money that was involved in this, that money came from individuals who had no clue what was really going on. In most cases. That was the smoke and mirrors part. They were told it was X when it was really Y. Yep. And, be, and, this, and this is our whole objective behind some of these podcasts is just to show that there is, there is a game out there and it's a smoke and mirrors game and your knowledge of what's really going on is, is, somewhat, is somewhat limited. But because of you know how long the financial services industry has been a part of this economy has been a part of this country, right? It's it's become kind of a social norm to do certain things with your money, right? And it's specifically when it comes to retirement planning, we've been conditioned to do a couple of things with money each and every month to you know to be able to retire at some future point in time, and we've seen a tremendous amount of failure in this industry. And a lot of the smoke and mirrors, smoke's been blown away, mirrors have been broken. Right now, I don't think there's 100% transparency as to what's happened, but we're starting to see a lot more transparency. And it, it's, really, uh, it's really, it's put a lot of concern in the mind. And individuals with half of their portfolio compared to what they had in 2006 and 2007, it's put a lot of concern into the average American's mind. Right. So how do how do we protect ourselves from this? Well, well I think okay. you have to understand you have to understand the whole idea of failure and success, right? There there is a failure and there has to be a cause behind that failure, right? So first is recognizing the financial services industry has some inherent risks. Period. I think that's a, you know recognizing that is you know is probably step number one, and then step number two would be are there solutions? Are there ways to prevent this type of catastrophe from happening happening again? You know, I have a good friend who who uh, has an investment philosophy, which is worth kind of repeating here. Now, this isn't uh, necessarily applicable to stocks, but his his philosophy is this: I never make an investment in something where, if it goes bad, I can't personally go in and have enough money to solve the problem myself. Hmm. So, do you think this guy owns, owns a lot of stock? Probably not. Not that much <laughs> stock, and he and he gets into positions where he can go and make a difference. Now, not everybody wants to do that, but the corollary to this is, do you know enough about where your money is and how it's being used to be able to understand it? And most of the time, what we say is people come to us and say, what about this investment? Mm -hmm. And they ask our advice. We ask, do you understand how they're making money? And how many times do they actually understand how the money's being used? Almost never. Almost never. Mm -hmm. And our response is, until you understand what they're actually doing with the money, how can you justify investing in this? Now, I'm going to draw this to a direct uh, parallel to the kinds of things that we've been talking about recently in our private banking system. If you put your money into an insurance company through a high cash value life insurance policy, do we know what they're doing with the money? We do. We do. They have very specific regulations as to where and how they can invest that money that is extremely tightly controlled. Mm-hmm. And, be- and it's not complicated. And it is not complicated. <laughs> they're not going out and speculating no. on stocks. They're not speculating on land development. They are buying fixed income products. 
for example, they're they're getting into uh, they they well without getting into a lot of detail, there are very specific uh, restrictions on how they can invest that money. Now, I have sort of a rule of thumb or two rules of thumb about business. One is called momentum, and the other is staying power. The longer a business has been in business and has been successful and profitable, gives them momentum. Oh yeah. Or and even if, the even the in we can even say the industry in relation to insurance companies. Sure, and and how well capitalized they are mm-hmm. gives them staying power. Now on those two categories alone, the insurance industry beats virtually every other industry in the world. The one possible exception is natural resources, where basically you're taking something out of the ground that costs you only the cost to bring it out mm-hmm. and then sell it. But we can't. It's it's not a it's not useful for us in this discussion. But the insurance industry has been around with success and without loss for so long. Yes, it's fairly conservative, mm-hmm. and that's why they've been around for so long. Yep. And that's why most of our clients are under invested in this commodity. So we talk a little bit about diversification, and you hear pros and cons. And the rich dad, poor dad would tell you that uh, diversification is a myth that's used to perpetuate the purchase of stocks mm-hmm. and that you should find something that works that you understand and stick with it mm-hmm. and doesn't believe in diversification. Mm-hmm. If you go to any of the financial planners, they're going to tell you diversify, diversify. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, both of those uh, have some merit, but you need to determine for yourself. But yeah, It's probably what the context to the diversification is. In general, you and I would both say the key factor here is do you understand the investment you've made? Do you understand what's going on? And if you don't, it may not be the best place for you to put your money. And looking and looking at our our plan, it, it's more of a plan than an investment because it doesn't necessarily bet on earning any interest. Right now, the interest is kind of the 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 positive or the the icing on the cake, right? And it's guaranteed interest, guaranteed interest at that. Right, but just the plan itself and how you can incorporate the process of banking, right? It's it's extremely profound because what it does is it eliminates all of the opportunity costs behind what interest is spent on everything. We're we're the financing generation, and, right? <laughs> and simple. It's it's profoundly simple yep. in how this works, and it's very transparent. The, the largest thing you need to understand is yourself yep. and what you're using your money for, and that's the key. The second is. Can I trust this this insurance company? Mm-hmm. And using our very simple criteria of momentum and staying power, they are the best capitalized, and they have been around and profitable the longest. Yeah, the insurance company that we use came out with a statement last week, and they said that they have four times the amount of capital in their holdings that they're regulated to have, and that's billions of billions of dollars. So right. it's it's profound on how soundly structured they are, and that's why they were profitable last year as opposed to uh, in the negative. And obviously that success. And because they've had success for over a hundred years, and with some insurance companies, a couple hundred years, that, like you said, staying power. It's uh, they they've proven it. Their successful model has you know withstanded this the you know the the test of time. So, well, just sort of wrapping up, it's I think important to sort of recognize that uh, there are lots of opportunities out there in the world, and we're not saying that uh, that you should put all of your eggs in one basket. Nope. But mm-hmm. we are saying that the eggs that you have. You need to put them in a basket that you understand. And if you are not properly uh, represented in the insurance uh, egg mm-hmm. in your basket, mm-hmm. then you need to take a look at the system. 
Yep. And you know, it's it's a foundation for the multimillionaire entrepreneur and the individual that's putting a hundred dollars into a qualified plan. I mean, it's a uh, the the you know the I guess the the scale at which you can contribute to these types of plans and incorporate this plan into your life is so broad, right? And it's applicable to you know most well all individuals, I would say. So this is uh you know thank you for for listening today. This is a uh, uh, this is just a podcast we put out to to promote uh, our process, and we have an educational process. We believe that an individual, prior to making any type of decision, should be fully educated. And we have a lot of information, a lot of articles, podcasts, material that will help educate you to a point where you understand how to create a foundation for all of your finances. So for more information on meeting with us or for our article or also to receive a, a free video, please contact us at 800-870-8670. That's 800-870-8670. You can also email us at info at theinvestorsparadigm.com. All right, well, thank you for being with us this week. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll talk to you next week. Also, for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, we do have about six weeks uh, of consistent podcasts that we've done, so make sure you go back and download those uh, as well. We'll, uh, We'll see you next week.